The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 76, for October 28th, 2006. Folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton, and I am actually here with John Braun. Hi, John. Hey, Dave. Wow, that's... I like doing the intro. Yeah. You know, I kind of expected when you're saying greetings that you'd be flailing about more, but you, you, you're you pretty composed physically I try, when you I do try that. to stay composed. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're sitting down now, so it, sometimes if I'm standing up, it's a yeah. little different. So I am up here in beautiful, rainy, windy... Multiple weather warning, New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah. Oh my indeed. gosh. Uh, yeah. So we don't have to worry about Skype delays today, but uh, we do have to worry about what phase cancellation. Though I think mm. with these hot, dynamic Heil mics, I don't think either one of us needs to actually worry about that. We've got about six feet between us. So uh, we are here this week to talk about all kinds of stuff. Of course, the new MacBook Pros were released this week, and. That begs the question of, okay, now they've got the Core 2 Duo in them. Everybody saw the ads on TV. Everybody's read about it. Everybody complained that Apple's the last manufacturer to put this this chip in their machines. So now, now it's there. What, does it matter? We're going to talk about you know what the differences are, what the impact is. Uh, and then we've, got, uh, we've actually got all, all kinds of stuff to go through. And, Just a, uh, a potpourri of, is that the right? A potpourri, menagerie, or no. menagerie, whatever. I don't know. Hmm. And don't forget to choke up on that Heil mic there, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, John's on the PR thirty. I'm on the PR forty. Just uh, for those of you keeping score at home, because I, though to many of you that, or to some of you that may sound crazy to actually mention, there are many of you that that actually uh, spend time worrying about that stuff, and that's a good mm-hmm. thing because. Uh, it, there's lots of Mac podcasters out there. All right, so Core Core Duo versus Core Two Duo, John. What uh, t- talk to me you, here? You know, I'm going to talk to you about the first thing. They got to work on their naming. And last I checked, Duo and t- yeah, it's it's getting unclear. So you got a yeah. Duo and a Duo Two, but it's not the Duo Two. It's the Two Duo. It's kind of like it the two It's kind of like saying, you know, father-in-law and fathers-in-law. It's not father-in-laws. It's Fathers in law. It's the same kind of oh, it's idea. The core two duo. That's right. The core duo too. But still, it's ridiculous. They're kind of saying the same thing. That's but right. anyways, so what's the big difference? Uh, we'll talk about the performance in a moment. But if you look at the actual specs of the chip, there are quite a few differences for those that are into processor design and all that fun stuff. I, I would say the major things that, that I saw. So one, the die size got quite a bit larger. They went from about 90 millimeters square to 144. So that's getting a lot larger. Okay. The transistor count almost doubled. The uh, original chip is about eh, about 150 million transistors. The new one is almost, it's about almost 300 million, 291. So they doubled the amount of transistors on wow. there. So that's good. And I would is say- it good? Or, or should I, I'll let you... Go through the thing. And well, then depending I'll... on what you do with it, and I'm yeah. going to suspect that most of what they did with it is that the new chip has the potential to have, rather than two megabytes of cache, level two cache, up to four megabytes. So uh, as far as talking about big changes on this chip, I mean, we talked about cache at a pretty high level before. Yep. Uh, and there are also, I mean, we, we could do weeks worth of shows on cash. I mean, sure. You know, lookup algorithms and, and ways that you can effectively and, use and it. And you know, if people want that, they can send us cash and then we'll do shows on cash. Oh, you mean the C-A-S-H? Well, if they send us C-A-S-H, then we can yeah. do more shows C-A-S-H. on C-A-C-H-E. Yes. <laughs> 
But anyways, yeah. So, so suffice to say, without getting into too much detail, that uh, more level two cache is better. Okay. And yeah. this new chip gives you twice as much. has the potential for you to have twice as much. Okay. Um, I saw that and probably, I mean, there's some minor things, you know, pipeline stages, there are more of those, decoders, all these things that, you know, again, the processor people really get excited about. But what I did notice was that um, the floating point units, whereas the old one it seemed to be that it just had a single uh, floating point and uh, addition unit, the okay. new one listed individually uh, floating point multiplication unit, floating point addition unit, floating point storage, and floating point load unit. So it wow. looks like they did quite a bit of work in the, in the floating point arena. So I would think that, you know, things that take advantage of floating point operations. Like like what? Well, that's a good question. I would think a lot of the graphic filters yep. would start to get into that thing. Okay. Perhaps some of the audio processing, which could be DSP or... Yep. Okay. Uh, so I'm just taking a stab at what no, no, that, could that, benefit. That's what I would have guessed. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was a good guess. So all in all, um, I wouldn't say it's a revolution. Okay. Like you know, dual core was. I mean, sure. that was a revolution. That's huge, right. I mean, you're almost, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you went way beyond single core chips. Right. And, and I hear, oh, who is it? I think HP is going to be the first people to offer a quad core. Okay. And we're going to be seeing that before the end of the year. Okay. We should. Probably not from Apple, though who knows what Macworld will bring us. Wouldn't That's that right. be a nice little surprise? That's right. So anyways, but but then there's another aspect to it. So, you know, for, for the, uh, you know, propeller heads who like all the, you know, stats and pipelining and stuff like that. That's one aspect. But then another aspect, and maybe Dave, you could speak to this, is what does it mean to me in terms of performance? I mean, you know, it's a core two duo. Well, That's right. Is is it better? I, I would assume from all the things I just said, it has almost more of more of almost everything. Well, you know, my my concern would be, okay, we've added all this stuff in, but it, it is a laptop, or at least we've added all the potential of this right. stuff, right? So you, you talked about, you know, a lot more transistors, a much larger die. D does that make it better with heat? Does that make it worse? I mean, to me, it would seem more transistors, more heat, but oh, larger yeah. die, better heat dissipation, right? So, and same thing, like for example, the the front side bus. Uh, I think I mentioned that, but it's yeah, can go up to eight hundred. You know, when things go faster, they hotter, in typically generate more heat. That's right. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you have any figures on the power consumption, but um, I don't. I was looking for that. It, it, I, I can't find anything here. Um, I mean, if people make breakthroughs as far as, you know, power management units and uh, and ways to deal with that. So it'd be nice if you got the additional performance without, you know, paying more in, uh, in battery heat, life. In battery life. That's heat right. And battery life. Yeah. Because, you know, they may have to tweak the fans. Yep. That's right. To deal with that. But um, but I think we you, uh, I think we had come across something that did some benchmarks, which you, you always got to take those with a grain of salt because mm -hmm. a lot of times they're not real world applications. Well, yeah, I mean when you when you sit down and do a benchmark to test a processor, it, you're not really, I mean it it doesn't test a the speed of the hard drive, uh, you know, the speed of let's say the wireless network. Let's say you're downloading stuff and all you care about is how quickly that stuff gets downloaded. Well, a faster processor isn't necessarily going to make a difference there, you know, unless your old processor is bogging things down there. But mm -hmm. for most of what most of us do, the processor is not the bottleneck, right? I mean, I, I run this MacBook Pro all the time, and rarely do I see either or both cores going even close to 100% right. for any length of time. Mostly, it's paging out to disk, right, you know, which is horrible. And yeah. I've got two gigs of RAM, but it's not enough. The new ones, I don't know if you noticed, can go up to three gigs of RAM. Hmm. So that's, that's a selling point right there. Um, but, you know... 
the chip isn't the end-all, be-all when it comes to measuring the speed of the computing experience, which really is what, what matters in the end. Right. It's a system... System level thing, definitely. So right. Well, and it's also, on, none of them are going to make you type any faster either, right? So if all right. you're doing is writing articles all day, well, you know, there, there's better places to well, spend your you, money. You may, because I suspect, uh, this must have been the case. I mean, uh, many of the Mac worlds that we went to until they switched to the chips, mm -hmm. you would get the idea that all Mac people did is, is run Gaussian blurs in Photoshop. That's right. Because that's yeah. the only thing they showed, and I would suspect the one thing that the Mac in general did excelled better. at. That's right. Now, whether that was engineered that way. Yeah. Or somebody, yeah, pick uh, <laughs> pick the pick the goal, and you can you know engineer something faster to uh, to get there. So, uh, but from what we saw in the the test results that we've seen online, we've got a couple of articles to link to the the Charles Gabba's systemshootouts.org, and then also Anantech had uh, had a, a pretty good article detailing the differences. They focus more on the Windows side, but really it doesn't matter for the chip itself, and uh, and it seems like. Overall, there's a, what about a 10% increase in the the reported test. Now, I've seen you know Apple has said, oh yeah, this is you know 30% faster, 40% faster. Again, it depends on the test, the overall you know what they're doing with it. But it seems like it's you know it at least 10% faster at, at the same clock speed than its uh, than its younger little brother there. But uh, but like John said, it's it's an an evolution, certainly not a revolution. And so it comes down to, you know, should this make a difference in your buying decision, right? Because uh, right now we're, we're at kind of the cross, the, 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 we've got a little bit of overlap. So you've got the MacBook, the old MacBook Pro available through the refurb channel at Apple with significant discounts. And then, of course, you've got the new one, no discounts, but faster processor and more options. So you've got FireWire 800 in the, in the new one. You can go up to three gigs of RAM. You know, so there's some arguments for going there. If chi if the chip is the only thing that's got you on the fence, man, I, I wouldn't do it. I, at, at this point, I'd take the 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 older model MacBook Pro or even the MacBook with the uh, Core Duo chip and uh, and go that route. Mm -hmm. Now, did they have? I, I believe uh, I don't know if you mentioned this, but I, I think there is a FireWire port. There's a, a FireWire 800, 800 port. port. Yep, and oh, also shit. rumors have it that the uh, wireless. Chip in there is 802.11n, which is significantly faster than 802.11g. Now Apple's not touting this; they're not selling it that way. The speculation is that you know the ITV or whatever that's going to be called is going to use 802.11n. So Apple is you know funneling this stuff into the pipeline quietly. It is a different chip than is in the Mac Mini, then uh, and that has 802.11n. All this stuff is pre. Uh, pre-standard spec stuff so uh, you know it, it's sort of a crapshoot but that's how this that's how the industry works so there you go mm -hmm. yeah so i would say you know hey if if, if you want to squeak every little bit of power and performance and you like to get rev 10 hardware because i would still well i don't know i don't know if i'd say this is rev 10 hardware i would no, i would call this this rev at least one rev 2 5 well because we, we saw a change to the macbook pro at, at some point yeah. in there so i i think I, I think you're okay going that route. Um, yeah. So the the other thing they came out with, which was sort of a quiet announcement, but for me was a big deal, is the airline adapter. I don't know if you saw, but now they've got a MagSafe. It's essentially one little cord with the MagSafe on one end and the either the cigarette lighter or the... Uh, and I can't remember the name of the other adapter, but it's it's both on the other end. It's it's convertible to the E-Power, e M-Power, I think is, is what it's called. Um, and it's got both 
to connect to a plane. Now, Apple's adapter will not charge the battery. It will only power the laptop and it will not run in the car. So if you want to if you want to do either of those two things, you need to go aftermarket. And currently, MikeGyver.com is the only place to do that. And like I said, I've tested this adapter. I'm nearly certain that uh, that if you blow up your laptop doing this and then call Apple and tell them that that's what you did and how you did it, uh, your warranty is likely null and void. So uh, so if you're interested in keeping your warranty in tip-top shape, go for the uh, the Apple adapter, but know that it's coming with, with limitations. I have successfully charged... And run, I've run my laptop while the battery is charging on the Mike Giver adapter. For those of you, uh, for those of you that care, so that's uh, that's where we that's where we are with that. Do you have any uh, anything else on this on this core X Duo topic MacBook Pro topic before we move on? No, John, I'm, I'm still wondering where Apple got that 39 percent though. I know that's what it says on the home page. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, you know, clearly they've got something to back that number up, but is it real-world experience? You know, I mean, it, they said it was five times faster than the than the old PowerBook. Uh, again, doing certain things, it is. Running Rosetta apps, it's about the same speed as the old PowerBook. Uh, you know, it, reading a big file from the hard drive, it's probably uh, not... Uh, I see. Okay, no, I see here. They qualify it. Okay, 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 it's fair. Based on estimated spec int rate base 2000 results for blah, blah. so this is using a specific um integer benchmark i believe all right well there you so, go uh, okay so in some cases hey if that's all you do that's all, right. all you do you know, we've got uh, a new sponsor, which is really an old sponsor coming back to the show, AudioEngineUSA.com. The, the makers of the fine A5 speakers uh, are back with us. They, uh, they've got some new stuff coming out. Haven't had a chance to talk to Dave uh, over there a whole lot about, uh, about what's going on going forward here, but uh, we are welcoming them back to the show. The A5 speakers are uh, 349. It's two separate speakers, self-powered and uh, has you can either power it from your computer or you can you know not power but you can drive sound from your computer with the little mini eighth jack on the back or you can plug your ipod into the top and even charge your ipod from the speakers because it's got a usb jack built for charging only uh on the top of the uh on the top of the left speaker i believe they've got two drivers in each of them killer killer sound i've got them on my desk here i'm happy to have these folks back as a sponsor i'm always happy to have a sponsor on board with a product that not only do I think is okay, but I think is fantastic. And and these speakers are fantastic. As you know, I've had them for a while here, use them in the studio all the time, and they, they hold up great. They sound really good. John, you said you use the A5s uh, with your Airport Express. Yes, that's another very nice touch is that they have a power jack on back of one of them. So, of course, you plug them to the wall to power them, but they give you a place to plug in your airport express so if you're into the audio streaming thing these are a a perfect way to do that killer all right and uh speaking of the ipod and all the crashing of course this show again is coming to you in stereo because of the uh, itunes 7 and ipod update crashing issue once that's resolved we likely will not stay in the stereo realm here uh unless all unless a lot of you tell us that you like it. Uh, we've gotten some comments from you that say, yeah, it's fine, but, you know, if given the choice, I don't really care. And uh, and that's kind of how we feel about it, too. But uh, but we'll have fun with it until then. Uh, and Adam actually has a comment about a different type of iPod crashing. Hey, John and Dave. This is Adam from Boston. Um, 
I just listened to number 75, and the guy was talking about how his iPod was crashing his Mac. Well, I had a very similar problem. I had a 5th uh, gen 60-gig uh, video, and for some reason, after I applied the 1.2 update, my iPod actually brought my Mac to a crash. And then I had to, I had to hard reboot, and it happened several times, and I was able to trick it to turning back on, because the iPod itself wouldn't necessarily turn on. And I took it to the Apple Store, and they found out that it was actually a latent hardware issue that I hadn't had any problems with, but I guess the update triggered uh, malfunctioning hardware. And I, I had run all the diagnostic tests before, and I hadn't had any problems whatsoever. So he may want to take the uh, iPod to the Apple Store and kind of look at it at the Genius Bar. He said it could very well just be broken, but the diagnostics won't detect what's wrong with it. All right, thanks. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you, Adam. Well, th- I-, I wanted to share that with everyone just so uh, so you all know that things like this can happen. Hardware, Software updates can expose deficiencies in hardware. We saw this years ago with, mm. with third-party RAM, right, when wow. Apple released a firmware update for the PowerBooks on a Friday afternoon, and uh, and everybody that did the update over the weekend, all of a sudden, all their, not all, but a lot of the third-party RAM that they had, and this was PowerBooks, the, the black ones, the uh, the Lombards, I guess is what it was, that this caused problems with. Mm. But uh, but it can happen, and it seems like it's, it's happened here. That's almost exactly what uh, the listener last week described, so... Thank yeah. you, Adam, for so, uh, contributing. So I'm thinking they, they may have, in addition, the, you know, the firmware update. Yep. They may have also updated the diagnostics. Or, I'm guessing, you know, the Apple folks in their back room there may have a special utility to check the health of the iPod that's not available to mere mortals. They Who probably knows? do. You're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going on, it, it, more follow-ups from last week. Brett wrote in, and uh, last week we were talking about the uh, what John likened to the connector conspiracy uh from what was that connector conspiracy was from the deck days isn't that where that started yeah if you saw the the thing i put up there and it's it's been happening in the computer world for ages ever since you got marketing people involved that's right that's right so anyway the uh the deal was that you had to you couldn't use just a standard camcorder out uh cable for your ipod if you wanted to take the ipod with video the fifth generation sixth generation whatever you call it ipod um and plug it into the RCA jacks on your TV, it wouldn't work. But you could if you changed all the uh, the assignments. And I, it was explained last week. I'm not going to go through it again. We said that this was a conspiracy. In fact, it's not. And Brett explained. He said, uh, with Apple's choice of pinout on the AV cable, it's possible to use the same jack on the iPod for both headphones and AV. As you know, the standard stereo headphone jack has three conductors. The AV cable has four uh, on the three and a half millimeter mini plug and going to three RCA plugs on the other. Meanwhile, long before the iPod video was introduced, there were many camcorders on the market that also used the same type of plug. The problem is that these older camcorder style cables cables are not compatible with a standard stereo headphone jack. So really, it was that Apple was kind of uh, being a little more forward thinking than uh, than than. Than, than we had than we had given them credit for, and it's true. You can't plug headphones into the camcorder uh, jack and hear left and right audio. You'll get uh, a mess. So Apple, the reason Apple did this was simply to to allow the jack to have two uses, and mm-hmm. and you got to give them credit for that. So th- thank you, Brett, and hey, thanks Apple. So there you go. Yeah. We'll, give, we'll give them credit where they deserve it. That's the only downside with competition. What's that? Well, sometimes everybody comes up with a 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's uh, true. Uh, yeah. Blu-ray, HD, HD DVD. Yeah. Example. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and one other thing that uh, that I stumbled across this week, there was SMC Fan Control that we talked about last week, which was the little app that that let you set the minimum fan speed on the MacBook Pro. And there's a new uh, or another product out that does the same thing called simply called fan control version 1.1 was at least the one that i saw this week and it's actually a system preference pane it runs its little daemon at startup and the system preference pane lets you set both the minimum speed of the fan and also some thresholds so you can change how the system reacts to heat you can say look you know fine make the minimum speed a thousand rpm just like apple has it but uh, kick the fan on at a lower temperature and make the high speed uh, of the fan a lower temperature or something. So you can you really can control how much the fans are being used. Now you, you got to do this with caution. You got to think about what you're doing. Figure out you know what makes sense to do. You're gonna a if you have the fans running more often than Apple suggests, you're gonna use more battery life. Presumably that's the only downside there. Uh, if you have them running. Uh, less often than Apple likes, well, uh, I wouldn't do that. That's that's going to cause more heat. But but this this fan control thing is it's actually pretty cool. The defaults that it loads with are not Apple's defaults. So if you're going to use this, be aware that they instantly set the the minimum speed up to 1500, and I believe drop the increase down from 60 degrees centigrade to 50 degrees centigrade. So I believe that's the the difference between what their defaults are and Apple's. So. Uh, bear that in mind. Yeah, and you got to be careful because uh, though a lot of processors and maybe all current ones, um, you know, have a uh, thermal overload where they'll shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some because I've I've heard stories from some colleagues. Some do not, and really? I, I know at least one colleague who had a machine, you know, a do-it-yourselfer, yeah, where the fan cut out and the particular chip. I think it may have been an earlier AMD chip. Oh, and, sure. Uh, yep. And it was toast. Oh, yeah. So you know, be careful with these utilities here because. Um, I, I wouldn't want to guarantee that you cannot yeah. toast your machine. Oh, you, oh yeah, that's right. We had a, we had a server, uh, machine that was running, uh, our ad server, actually, uh, one of the fans on the, on the process, it was a, a dual processor machine it was old AMD chips and, uh, uh yeah, the, one of the fans burned out, no one noticed and, uh, things got a little toasty in the rack and mm-hmm. it actually burned out not just that processor, but the motherboard and the other processor and the drive controller. Yeah, and I don't know if you know, you yeah. saw those two drives stacked down in my office. Ah, those are yeah. the drives that were in that machine. <laughs> we copied them over. We we that was the last homegrown machine that we stopped. Now uh, we actually run all of, everything off of Dell's, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, well you know, hey, wow. yeah. it works. Dell's we're not bad. running Windows. It's not you know. Yeah. Let's talk for a second about that. Let's talk. John's spending the weekend with us, and we were he was doing something with uh, my son on the. Uh, on the Windows machine that I have in the house for the kids, and it was having trouble printing. And it's printing to a shared printer on the Mac, which has worked in the past, but was giving us trouble. You know, part of my, part of my hatred for Windows is, and, and, and this is a love-hate thing, because I used to make a lot of money off of, of, of exactly <laughs> this, that you, you can't troubleshoot it easily. Now, maybe this speaks to the fact that I have my roots in Unix, so OS ten is like I've come back home again. But, you know, digging through the registry, it, it turns out that there was some permissioning issues in the registry and some damaged files. The, the answer, of course, is just nuke and pave or maybe just reinstall uh, Service Pack 2. But, 
you know, why do they make this stuff so difficult? You know, Unix is complex. It's got a lot going on, but it's so structured and straightforward. This registry stuff in Windows, it's a it's a horror show. I mean, I know it's nice. You can cache it and all that stuff. But frankly, the operating system with Unix caches commonly read files and all that stuff, too. So what's the difference? I don't I just, I mean I just don't get why it's so much more difficult to troubleshoot on Windows. Again, maybe it's my perspective. Maybe it's that, you know, like I said, I, I spend a lot of time with Unix and have spent a lot of time with mm. Unix over the last twenty something well, years. But. I could guess. I mean one thing is that Windows does strive to be an operating system that can handle almost any peripheral you throw at it. You know, that's a good point. I gotta give him credit because Apple still they've Apple has certainly gotten a lot better, but there are some pieces of hardware yeah. that just won't show up yeah it's just like huh no you're right uh, and 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 that's something i've actually i'm um, uh, been asked to to give a session at Macworld on running windows on your mac and i said okay well you know this isn't something i do a whole lot of but uh, i've done enough of it and obviously have some experience with windows so sure i'll do it and and started thinking through you know okay i gotta structure this thing and and part of the intro is you know yeah we all say windows sucks but but there's there's actually something to be said, like you said, for for the way that Windows is able to remember Windows is made by one company, the uh, mm-hmm. the computer is made by another company, and most of the time the peripherals are made by about six more companies. So it's not like, and that's just what comes in the box, right? The graphics card, the the all that stuff. Dell's got to go when Dell sells you a Windows machine. A they've got to go and get Windows, which is a known quantity, and then they've got to build all this other stuff into the box the mouse the keyboard the the video card the right the usb controller all of that stuff and microsoft it just gives them a copy of windows microsoft they don't say to microsoft and maybe they do but but in a general sense you know they don't say to microsoft okay go ahead and rebuild windows for this exact configuration specifically mm-hmm. microsoft doesn't do that they they get a copy of windows and microsoft has to build it such that it's going to be able to take all of the drivers and such that were required to run all this hardware. It, it's a much more difficult process because you've got so many different companies involved. And mm-hmm. Windows, given that, Windows actually doesn't do too badly. And even the basic code. I, I think I told you I won't mention the uh, specific product. But yeah. For example, I ran into this issue very recently that I was uh, uh, researching for the, uh, the 9 to 5, where a, a USB peripheral, USB peripheral, when hooked to certain PCs with certain BIOS, right, would wedge the machine. The machine would not start up. Yeah. As it turns out, the device had a faulty USB descriptor. Uh, USB descriptors have a field within them saying, "This is how big I am." Right. The problem is, it gives you the opportunity to be wrong. And what happened is certain <laughs> machines, so you, you know, so for example, the descriptor could be six, and this is, you know, the thing that tells the computer, okay, here's all the capabilities that I have. Um, in a nutshell. The problem is you can have it be larger than the reported length, and this is what was happening, but only certain PCs would wedge on this. Some would say, oh, 32 bytes, you're telling me? Okay, fine. And the device would have send over 64, and the machine would go, uh, boom. Some machines totally ignored it, and they went right past it. Yeah. So, so I, I think another thing, so, so you have a variety of BIOS uh, you yep. know, akin to firmware, yep. whereas on the Mac you only have one, so that's per, you know, one machine, less variable. That's right, yeah. And every variable you add... Oh, it increases the complexity. Chaos. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have, uh, to get back on, on our track here, because I 
I derailed that train. Uh, mm-hmm. Robert. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ro- that's why we let it happen. Robert wrote in uh, or, or sent in a couple of months ago about this weird little icon that he started seeing and couldn't reproduce. And uh, and it looks like he may have found it, but we're going to offer him some help. Hey, guys. It's Robert calling again. I had talked to you a few weeks back about an odd icon that I see when I do a little hovering sometimes over files in the, uh, in the, file, in the, in the file browser. I've heard, although I have not been able to replicate it still, that this is a dictionary lookup uh, of some sort that's built into the OS, and that if you hold down Option-Command-D, uh, it will look up the, um, the word that you're hovering over in the dictionary. Now, I haven't been able to get that to work, and I still haven't seen that icon, but I uh, thought I'd throw that out to you guys and see if, uh, if you can get that to work, because I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Someone had told me that that's what that's for, but uh, I don't know if I believe him because I can't replicate the, the, uh, the icon again. Anyway, mm. love the show. Keep it going. Bye. All right, Robert. Well, that was enough to send us down the right path. Uh, Command Option D, as you found John does, hides your dock or shows it. That's right. Yeah. So it toggles between showing and hiding the dock because I tried this and I'm like, that's not a magnifying glass. No. (laughs) However, uh, a little bit of research. Once he uh, mentioned the dictionary thing, realized uh, or revealed Command Control D, if hovered over a word in a Cocoa app, will pop up. The definition from the built-in dictionary in OS X. And, uh, and though I haven't seen the little spotlight icon happen when this happens, I can, I can imagine that perhaps on a slower machine or if it's bogged down doing something else, maybe that, you know, the, that's the, effectively the hourglass for this operation is that this little, you know, kind of sort of spotlight looking thing pops up while it's uh, fetching the definition. Did it work yeah. for you, John? It, it it's working for me, but I don't see a magnifying glass. Not, no, you know I got to ask you because uh, on the you can't on, ask on, me. Uh, I'm gonna ask you anyways. You're here. You can't. <laughs> I can't escape. Away. Where's that? But on the on the on the train on the way up when I was you know doing some of the research on on the on the show. Yeah. I for the life of me could not find anywhere within Mac OS X that told you how to do this. I went in the uh, Mac OS X keyboard shortcuts. I went to the dictionary application itself. I couldn't find this documented really? anywhere. Where did you find this? Well, I actually uh, Google. I, I did uh, a, a, a Google search for something along the lines of dictionary keyboard mm, shortcut, mm-hmm. and, and oh. that's how I found it. But uh, And honestly, I don't even remember where it was because it, it was revealed in the notes on the first Google page that came up. So it was mm-hmm. like, oh, let me try it. And bam, I was in Safari, so mm-hmm. I just hovered over a word and it worked. It's like, oh, okay, on to the next thing. So there you go. Uh, speaking of which, on to the next thing, we'll let Matt talk a little bit here. Hey, John and Dave, Matt, California. Just had a follow-up on the Shortcuts podcast. Control F2 is awesome. That allows you to highlight the Apple menu, just the Apple in the upper left-hand corner. This saved my bacon today and saved me before because... If you can't get to the finder, let's say your mouse is not working. I mean, it's going around, but you can't actually click on anything. If you hit Control-F2, it'll actually, you can go up to the menu and then 
arrow down to force quit, and then force quit the finder, and you're back. There's probably other ways, but that works really good for me. Also, uh, you have to hold down function key, of course, if you're on a laptop. So function control F2. Also, it's real good for GUI scripting. Uh, I work on an application that has no Apple script capability. So with GUI scripting and control F2, you can GUI script over to any menu item that you have in that list and do any actions that way. So it's awesome. So thanks again for your podcast. Out. Hi, John and Dave. It's Dave Reed. Back in show 64, I think, you asked about Quicksilver and Spotlight and some of the other application launchers. We did. Quicksilver and Spotlight are really designed for different uses, although you can do some of the same things with both of them. Spotlight indexes both file names and the contents of many file types, such as PDFs, Office documents, and so on. Quicksilver indexes only the names of files, not the contents. That's why it's much faster as an application launcher and for opening files with certain apps. For example, I have lots of LaTeX documents on my hard drive, and what I can do with Quicksilver is type in the first few letters of the file name, and it finds the LaTeX document and then opens it automatically with TechShop, which is the application for editing LaTeX documents. Quicksilver also has many more uses, such as starting an email with an attachment, starting a Google search, showing the contact information for one of the contacts in your address book without actually opening address book, and many other things. I only scratch the surface of its use. I don't know how I could live without it. The only thing I use Spotlight for is searching for words within a document. For example, if I know some of the, the words in a file but can't remember the file name, that's where Spotlight comes in handy. I hope this helps explain some of the differences and keep up the great show. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks, Dave. That's uh, that's actually killer advice. And and being that I use Spotlight to do exactly that, that was the thing that got me back to uh, install Quicksilver and start using it again. And it's so, so much faster. So thank you. Yeah, I'll have to try it. Yeah, um, it's not bad. And I do like that control, and thank you for remembering function. Yeah, Because I still right. have my power book here. Well, one little caveat to that, though, Ed, that is totally awesome for uh, keyboard scripting. Yeah. You may want to. I'm, I'm just you know thinking like a programmer here. Um if you're already in that mode and you hit escape, I'm just trying to think how to get you started in a known state. Oh, so if you so already happen so, to be in the oh, keyboard right. selection mode, then and the you want to guarantee That's right. it would look like it could throw you. I'm, I'm just trying to think because what, what he's proposing is probably the only way you can do it if you don't have scripting. Right. The, the problem is if it's already in that mode. So, um, And I was just goofing around with it while we were doing some of the playback there. So maybe do it in escape before you do the uh, function control F2 uh, may, as far as I can see, that always guarantees that you're going to, yep. you know, uh, be starting with the Apple. And, yeah. And just, just hope there. that, hope that the escape doesn't cancel out of cancel a dialogue, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the concern. So how would you, yeah, yeah that's, tough, well, you'd man. have to, yeah, you'd have to pull the system for the state of that. And you can't, that's the whole point of needing to use GUI scripting is that you're trying to do something that's not scriptable to begin with. So, yeah. yeah you, you, so something to toss in there, but but yeah. a good good tip for things that are not automated or, or Apple Apple scriptable. Yep, that's right. That's right. Uh, you know, I'm hesitant to. Well, we'll, we'll go ahead and answer this question. Hi, John and Dave. My name is Colin. I'm calling from Poughkeepsie, New York. Big uh, big fan of the podcast. I listen to it a lot when I commute to my job in Boston. Awesome. Anyhow, wow. um, my question is regarding iTunes libraries. Mm. Uh, what I want to do is I have a MacBook Pro with my uh, 
I don't know, 80 gigs of uh, music on an external hard drive, and I now have a Mac Mini in the living room at home. And what I want to be able to do is have uh, one library on the external hard drive that I can travel and take with me to Boston and have the other library uh, on another external hard drive uh, on the, at the Mac Mini in the living room at home. So what I want to be able to do is be able to download new podcasts, buy music, load it onto the external hard drive that I travel with, and then synchronize it with the Mac Mini uh, Mac Mini's external hard drive at home. So I wonder if, uh, what the uh, best way to go about that is. Uh, let me see. I guess I could leave you my email address, but then you'll just cut me off, so I won't bother. So maybe you just uh, play this comment on the show. Love it. Thanks. Bye. Uh, I, I wanted to address that last bit first, and, and Colin actually did go ahead and, and send a follow-up message in with, with his email address because he realized, wow, you know, A, even if you do decide, even if we do decide to play it on the show, uh, it may be a while, and he wanted his answer sooner rather than later. It, now, so let's talk a little bit about, about what we do with all the email we get. We get a lot. You, you've got to know this, uh, and we're happy to get every bit of it. We try to anything that's even remotely globally uh, relevant and by globally relevant, I mean globally for you, our listeners, right? If it's if it's relevant to enough of a percentage or it seems to be relevant, we'll put it in the show, it, you know, certainly. But there's mm-hmm. some things that come through that are so, so specific. And a few of them have actually turned out in the show and, and turned out well, but a lot of them don't. We do actually try to answer a lot of the email that comes through. Certainly there are some that, that we simply don't get to, and, and I apologize for that. It just, it, 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 it's the nature of the beast. But, uh, but do, if you're going to send in an audio comment, it's no problem at all. Uh, you know, just say, and my email address is something that, that, you know, warns us. We can pause it just like you, you know, just like you hear us do all the time. And uh, if we don't wind up emailing you, that's okay. If uh, if we you know if we wind up playing it on the show, but if we do, it, it's a great way. It also allows us the ability to follow up with you. And I've done that with people. You've heard it where you know we've got a comment, and uh, and suddenly our answer is based on a whole lot more background information. And it's because we took the time to email uh, the person that that, uh, that sent it in. So please do continue to do that. You'll just happen to hear us uh, cut it off every now and then. Now, as to Colin's question, this is a an issue that I've tried to solve here too. And I stumbled onto an app a couple of months ago that I so desperately have wanted to mention since then, but it's never worked quite right for me. And it's an app called slingshot from martian.com. I think it works well for a lot of people. I don't know why it didn't work for me. I, you tell it, look, sync these, take these playlists. And of course you could make a smart playlist that just included everything and uh, say, take these playlists and sync them with, uh, you know, publish them and then you go to another computer and you sync back to the run. You install Slingshot on both machines and you tell one to subscribe and one to publish. And boom, it works. But it wasn't copying everything over for me. I was actually trying to do it with the audio comments that we use for the Geek Gab so that I didn't have to play them over the network from my MacBook Pro to the to the studio machine here. But uh, but it, it never was reliable for me. It could be that, you know, I installed uh, one version and then overwrote it with another and had preference issues. Frankly, I never spent a lot of time to research it, and that's why I never mentioned it on the show. But since Colin asked, I figured now's the time. We'll mention it. Martian software is slingshot. Check it out. If you have problems, uh, let us know. Uh, um, this is also now the catalyst for, for me to get in touch with them and, and, uh, and figure all that mm-hmm. out. So there you go. 
Yeah. I'll toss out one thing. I don't know if Go I ahead. directly yeah. addressed it, but then, you know, what I say rarely does. It's usually a tangent. <laughs> That's why. Mm, <laughs> it's a but, beautiful uh, thing. But sometimes they're useful. But I, there's I one so. thing that I think is kind of a hidden feature in iTunes. Um, because it sounded like part of this problem, the, the one way to solve it would be to uh, know when things were added to a particular iTunes library. Which, if you're clicked on library, you'll uh, you'll typically see that. Or right now, right. of course, in the new iTunes, you have the libraries broken down by category. Right. So you'll normally see, like I'm looking right now in iTunes, and I see name, time, artist, album, track, year. That's all great stuff. But if you do control and you click on any of the column headers... Well, my goodness, you'll get this amazing list of things you can see. Really? Yes, you can. Have you ever seen this? Oh, oh, okay. So this is the same as going to the... Uh, Maybe somewhere else. The edit this... menu, what was it, in iTunes? Uh, I'm view, not sure. If, view didn't... menu and view options lets you uh, pick go. the different columns. That's same right. thing. So this is a bit more direct, wow. but if you click in one of those column headers, and there's one thing here, date added. Hmm. Uh. As well as a whole bunch of other stuff. Now, I think they picked, you know, the core set of things. Oh, and you even have date modified, too. So if you have, Mm -hmm. if if you went and changed something, you could also do. And I would guess, though I would have to confirm this, date modified, it should be date added until it's modified, right? So you could search only by date modified, right? Right? That would seem reasonable. I think so. Yeah. Date modified is not blank for anything I've got here. So, yeah, it is. If it hasn't been changed since it was added... It stays, so date modified would be the thing to use. Yeah, now what they used to have, oh, no, it's still here. Now, this is another handy one, a yep. little tangent, but I think it's very useful. There's a kind field. Right. Now, kind comes in hand, handy, especially <laughs> if you want to find out which files you have are your um, purchase music and which are your uh, MP3s, because typically it'll have the word protected. Mm. Unless it's uh, uh, unless it's a uh, podcast. Podcasts. Okay. AAC podcasts like ours will right. show up in iTunes as a protected file, and and Ew. let me tell you, it's not protected. There's no problem. Mm. I I went nuts when we first converted that first uh, AAC, but no, it's not protected. But but it you know it yeah. helps you narrow it down. Yeah, well, it's, sure. it's good also if you want to, especially if you want to move files among devices, since you know of course not all devices support, for example, AAC. Right. That's true. So, That's uh, true. Yeah. So a handy little bonus there uh, to get iTunes to to just tell you everything it knows about what you got stored in it. Cool. Uh, what do we, do we have, oh no, we're out. Yeah, we're good. Uh, I think we're good, right? Time-wise? Yeah. I'm good. You good? I'm good. I'm good. Let's, uh, let's, uh, yeah, no, we're good. All right. Uh, so I, again, want to thank our sponsor, AudioEngineUSA.com. Uh, who are these guys? Very happy to who have are these guys back. pushing me out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> They'd only be pushing you out of the way if we panned them to the right, John. <laughs> but we'll keep them in the middle. They'll push us both out of the way. Uh-huh. <laughs> Cashfly hosting, of course, is the place where you download this show, mm-hmm. and uh, and our podcast marketplace does include the A5 desktop speakers from AudioEngineUSA.com. It includes the six i isolator earphones from Edomotic, which I believe I can see in your ears at the moment, John. Yes, fine, fine earphones. And TeachMac from TeachMac.com. Go ahead and use their module maker to uh, to make a Geek Gab module. Maybe the Control F2 uh, keyboard shortcut thing wouldn't be a bad one. Uh, next week we will be back on track. My guess is we'll be back on track for a Monday night show mm. and uh, have all kinds of stuff. Make sure to send your comments in to. MacGeekGab at MacObserver.com or they can call 206-666-Geek. 
It's so much easier to sync that up when we can see each other. <laughs> yeah, there, there are downsides to being able to see each other, too. <laughs> like when I get to make faces at John while he's talking to you all. So, uh, I guess that's it. I don't have anything else. That's oh, play, play nation states. It's a lot of fun. And somebody's mm-hmm. got to take the, the, the delegate position from me. It's. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I want to deal with that level of responsibility. Vote, vote for John. He's, uh, he, he def- he, he's definitely a much better delegate than I am. <laughs> Screaming blueberries forever. That's yeah, right. I think so. Uh, voting. Talk about voting. Yeah, well, it'll be uh, November 1st this week. So, yeah, head over head over to Podcast Alley and uh, let's see what we can show him for the, uh, for the 11th month of 2006. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? That's it. I'm good. Let's That's get it. out. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. <sighs> Nothing more to tell them? MacObserver.com slash podcast or MacGeekGab.com is where uh, the show notes will appear. So quickly you'll be amazed. Oh, I think there's one more thing. Is there one more thing? All right. We do sit here and give you a lot of advice. If you had one last bit of advice, John, for him before we let him go, what would that be? For goodness sake, don't get caught. That's good advice. Made up.